The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. Hey, Dom. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Thomas Sanherjo. Hi, Thomas. It's nice to be here. Excellent. So uh, I just want to start with a, a little tale, a technology tale, some, uh, so, some of my uh, technology woes that have turned out well. Uh, I have an... Uh, Apple iPad Pro, brand new. I, I just got it last fall, and it's the latest model until Apple releases a new one later later this month, probably, and makes me want to buy that. But until then, this is the latest model, and it's been great. I love it. Um, it's got that USB-C port on it that is supposed to be so much better, but requires that I have different cables from everything else. But, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but over the last few weeks, I've, I've started having this problem where I'd plug it in and it wouldn't start charging. And then I have to jiggle the, the cable and it would, then it would start charging. And then I, found, I realized that some of my other cables weren't charging it. And then I would plug it into different ports, different cables. Not, you know, it, was, it was very inconsistent. Uh, I, I know that if you, if you ever have this happen with your phone, uh, gets either a, a toothpick, a wooden toothpick, uh, don't use this cotton swab because that's counterintuitive, um, or possibly some compressed air, but a wooden toothpick is better. And see if there's lint in the, in the port. That's mm-hmm. a big one. You, with the, the phone in your pocket, it's always going to collect lint in that port. Right. And, and sometimes that'll get in there and keep the, the cable from making a good connection. But I, I don't carry my iPad in my pocket, so that I knew it wasn't going to be lint from my pocket. But I, I checked it anyway. It wasn't, wasn't working. It wasn't a deal. And then a few days ago, it wouldn't charge at all, no matter what cables I used, no matter what uh, uh, you know what I did with it, reboot, all that sort of stuff, wouldn't fix it. So I knew it was time. I had to make an uh, Apple uh, Store Genius Bar appointment. I took it in because it's still under warranty. It's not even I have um, Apple Care, but it's it's still warranty. I was I was gonna say it's got to be like if it's that new, it's got to be under yeah. warranty still. Yeah, right? it still is. So I made my my Genius Bar appointment. I went in this morning. Um, so good. It was so, I just love that Apple store genius bar experience. And my appointment was 1140. I got there at 1130. Uh, they said to have a seat over here. So they'll be with you in about 15 minutes. Two minutes later, the guy walks up, which was awesome. And then he takes me seriously. I tell him all the troubleshooting steps I took so that he knows I'm serious, that I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I'm not the lady who calls the pencil, the writing stick, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the lady next to me, but uh, the uh, so we try it out. He puts in, he gets out their charging brick and their cable, and they plug it in. And guess what happens? It, it charges. charges. It time. starts charging. Of I'm course. like, no. He's like, well, <laughs> did you bring the your, your your Apple cable with you so we could replace it under warranty? I'm like, no. I, I just I don't think it is. So he went to go away to get something else. I forget what it was. And uh, so I I got out from my bag one of the cables that didn't work before. And I and he, when he came back, I said, "Can you try this cable with a, your charging brick?" It's like, sure. Plugged it in, didn't work. And then he got another iPad, plugged it in th- into that, it did work. It's not the cable. 
and then we plugged mm. his Apple cable back in. Didn't work. So my guess is, and and we we get you know we guessed it together is uh, that there's so there was a broken solder point or something in the port. Yeah, that was intermittent, and then finally just gave. So, mm -hmm. um, but the nice thing is he's like, okay, sure, goes out back, gets a new iPad, brings it out, you know, does the paperwork, you know, scans the the barcode, whatever, hands it to me, I take it home, and it's just that it's the long but easy reset up process. I have to, you know, I have to right. download all the apps again, all that sort of stuff. But right. it's, but it's so much better than it used to be, you know, the, yeah. that whole process. Yeah, well, I think they really they really value the fact that they can interchange the whole object. And yes. still, they can fix that. They can fix that. You know, you can't fix it, but right. they can take that piece and just. Yeah, I had that uh, happen with when I got, I switched back front to iPhone after having Android for a couple of years. And I logged into my iCloud account. Everything synced right back up, even though it had yeah. been like three years since I'd had an iPhone. So yeah. they make it really easy. It's so much easier. And with uh, one password integrated into the OS now. It's just, you know, once I pass one password has downloaded the app, I can, mm -hmm. you know, logging into all my Google accounts and all my other accounts is just, right. it's right there. It's so much better. Yeah. Well, I, I've said so I started doing the whole phone reset uh, once a month or so. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I, and it's been, it's been great. It's been great for my phone. My phone is staying really, <laughs> really top notch and it's charging really well. Uh, it's keeping battery really well. And, I wouldn't be able to do that if it weren't for the fact that it was so easy to to just, you know, say, okay, go ahead and re-download everything. Yep, there we go. Yeah. We're good. And, and, you know, the the Apple, the Genius Bar experience has always been so good. I remember years ago, like more than 10 years ago, uh, I had an iPod. I think it was an iPod that uh, it was like an iPod touch that an update came out. I went to update <clears throat> it and it bricked the iPod. Just yeah, halfway through. And oh yeah. So I went to the Genius Bar. I walked up to the guy, and I all I said was, "I was updating it. It got and then it stopped, and now it won't respond." He's like, "Okay." Takes it, does a few things. I ne I never say another word to the guy. Does a bunch of things, reaches under the under the desk, pulls out a new iPod Touch, does a few more things, and says, "Here you go." And that's it. That was the extent of all I had mm -hmm. to do. I didn't have to argue with him, cajole him, explain to him, try to convince him. Nope. It's just we took care took care of it. That's this is why I pay a little more <laughs> Apple. Right, yeah. I mean it's one of the reasons. So uh that's my tale of woe that has a happy ending. So just uh, good. I, I thought I'd start yes. with that. Uh so let's talk about some of the other news this week uh, that's more important than my iPad <laughs> getting fixed. Uh, there was a very interesting Catholic tech news. Uh, we, we don't often have specifically Catholic tech news, but this is real Catholic technology news. There was a meeting at the Vatican uh, between the Pontifical Academy for Life and specifically the uh, Cardinal in charge, Cardinal Paglia, uh, and some heads of big tech companies, the heads of Microsoft, IBM, uh, and FAO, which um, is, that, is that a European? I didn't see what that was. Is that a, a European? I think it's a European Commission. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For... Yeah. 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 So they had this meeting where they talked about AI and ethical AI, and they signed a non-binding sort of agreement. It, 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 I mean, to to say they signed a thing, they just uh, agree had this statement of agreement of principles that AI. Any rules that are developed to govern AI, the ethical use of artificial intelligence, has to take into account 
people, particularly the weak, the underprivileged, as well as the environment. Um, and and that's that you know it's interesting. I, I mean, it doesn't really affect real regulations, but to have these big tech companies and the Vatican making a big splash on this is somewhat significant. So, what do you guys think of this of this agreement they came to in this this event, uh, and and even just the topic of ethical use of AI under Catholic moral principles? What, what do you think of this, Thomas? I, I think it's fantastic. Um, I I like the idea that we're pushing the preferential option for the poor kind of mentality uh, into the digital age and uh, really getting out in the forefront because there's a lot of people that are concerned about AI ethics but not the ethical use of ai and there and mm. there's a, a very small difference there but it's a very important one you know mm-hmm. like wh- because i think a lot of people are thinking so far ahead and thinking oh what happens when ai becomes sentient and like is it going to have morals and don't don't that's, worry so much about that's that. that's way down the road we're using it yeah, <laughs> yeah that's like that's like you know that's 100 years from now something like that but we need to think about right now we already have these machine learning algorithms that are potentially dangerous because of baked in bias and if we don't start now thinking about how to remove that baked in bias uh it's not going to be removed and it's just going to perpetuate yeah that's the thing is i think people when they talk about think about the ethical use of ai and that sort of stuff they're thinking skynet they're thinking right. the robots rising up to kill us that's that's not happening and and even and it's even debatable whether we could ever get to the point where ai could be right self-aware like that yeah, this is addressing more of the real issue of people using AI unethically rather than AI becoming unethical on its own. Right. Exactly. Could you give some examples of, of ways that AI could be used unethically? Can you think of anything off the top of your head? I know one one thing that I've heard about is, um, I think we talked about this a while ago, but there's a police database that there's a company, mm-hmm. I cannot remember the name of them off clear the top AI. of my head. Yeah, Clear yeah. AI. Um. And there's an issue with uh, facial recognition and minorities where because of the darker skin tone, it can be harder to differentiate. So that would be an example of where you have to be aware of the limitations of the technology and the bias that could come up if you're using right. something like that. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. And then in, if you're talk, talk, talking about the legal system still, um, if you're looking at statistics, the problem with statistics is that largely the uh, minority uh, groups are overrepresented in uh prison systems in the United States. And so if you have an AI that you set loose on cases and it you just automatically trust its judgment and it's only making judgments based on statistics, it's going to follow those same statistics of, well, this is a minority person. Obviously, they must have committed the crime because in the past, this has been the same way that it's that 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 has happened. Right. Right. So, yeah, the, the it the we've talked before about the the problem is in the data sets. Where where do these data sets come from that they're using to train these machine learning algorithms? Uh, I think this is this is why uh, a lot of people say machine learning as opposed to AI because people think Skynet when they hear AI. Exactly. <laughs> but machine learning algorithms and AI are are rel- today are relatively the same thing. But this is the problem: is, is you these these machine learning algorithms have to be trained, and the training it, everything depends on what data set you're giving given it and and who's doing the training we've talked before about how you know all of the so many of the um people doing the training are from a particular place they're all from you know silicon valley they're all a very similar background they were relatively similar uh socioeconomic status very similar educational background outlook on life 
political leaning in many cases, and it that all tends to bias the system into in a certain right. direction. That could be a problem. Yeah, and you and you 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 bring that bias in, and and the great thing is is that that there is a the potential to use these systems to overcome those biases and to to try and allow them to make decisions that are outside of the bounds mm-hmm. of you know our particular proclivities. Um, but we have to be intentional about that. And I think that's, right. it's good that we're talking about an ethical use of AI and not, uh, and, and that's, I was really, you know, when I, when I saw the link, I was like, Oh no, I hope this isn't what I think it is. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a, you know, how do we save the, the machine soul? <laughs> right, uh, right. That's, that's not, it's not relevant. And I should know better when I'm looking at a Catholic source, but <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's, I, and I think it's important for us to make sure that that's, that's where we're leaning is like, is how are we as humans using this tool uh, to improve the human state? Right. I also, I also appreciated that it was not saying AI is bad, period. Don't use it. Because that's the right. other direction you could go with that. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and I should say that, you know, the fact that we have implicit bias, you know, that we have a particular viewpoint is not, is not, you know, bad from the, you know, the, it doesn't poison the whole thing. As long as we're aware of our potential biases exactly. and try to compensate for them, uh, that can help. And so, you know, if if these big companies are aware, like, I'm not just making this technology for use in New York, you know, to, you know, the, the greater New York population. I'm making this stuff for people in Sao Paulo and people who live in uh, rural parts of Africa and you know this technology has to work equally well for people everywhere from from top to bottom on the socioeconomic scale from you know and, you know all these things you have to be aware of to make sure that it's fair that it treats people with the dignity and individuality that they are due which is key from a catholic right. uh, social uh, the social gospel context right and the they need to the we need to learn how to have context-based data analysis rather than just here's all the data, whatever it says is the truth. The context is really important in that. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that there's more talk about this in Catholic circles. There needs to be, this is one of the reasons why this podcast exists. And I, I, I want there to be more, there'd be, I'd love it if there were more Catholic technology podcasts because this is precisely why we're here because we want to talk about these intersections between this technology, which more and more, I don't want to say rules our life, but it certainly underpins so much of our lives. And we need to connect that with our Catholic moral principles and our Catholic social moral principles, too, that, that we need to talk about it and figure this out and have a, a voice in the conversation so that we can influence where this goes. And that's what's very, I'm, that's why I'm glad the Vatican's doing this. I find it interesting that it's the Pontifical Academy for Life that is taking the Vatican's point on this. It's a, an interesting yeah. place for that to be. Well, it's a, it's a good use because if you think about uh, where these kind of things might happen, uh, especially in the medical field, but the way it is right now, a cost-benefit analysis of keeping someone alive is a very, very dangerous thing when someone's at the, you know, trying to make end-of-life decisions. And, uh, you know, the machine is deciding, well, it's going to cost us this many millions of dollars to keep this person alive. It's really not worth it because they only have this long left to live. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. That's not how I want medical decisions made for me when I get to that age. Right. 
so they, this document that they signed had a list of seven, uh, six principles for fundamental uh, good in you know AI, and I I, I want to name them. So the first is transparency. It says, uh, in principle, AI systems must be explainable. So you have to be. It has to be understandable by maybe well-educated people, but but has to be open and people have to understand what's going on with it. Uh, inclusion, the needs of all human beings must be taken into consideration so that everyone can benefit and all individuals can be offered the best possible conditions to express themselves and develop, right? This has to be something not just for the wealthy or the or the or uh, those who have special access. Uh, re- number three, responsibility. Those who design and deploy the use of AI must proceed with responsibility and transparency. Uh, so we, the people doing this have to be accountable. Right, uh, right. For impartiality, do not create or act according to bias, thus safeguarding fairness and human dignity. We just talked about that. Uh, five, reliability. AI systems must be able to work reliably. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and six, security and privacy. AI systems must work securely and respect the privacy of users. So these are, these are, these are good principles. And frankly, yeah. these are... These are good principles for all technology, not just AI. So I, I, I agree with that. Right. I think it's just doubly important because the potential of AI to be super powerful is there, where with a lot of other technologies, it's more isolated. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll have links to some stories on this as well as to this document itself. It's available on the Pontifical Academy for Life's website. So uh, it's called the Rome Call for AI Ethics. Uh, so it, uh, it very interesting. Anything else you guys want to say about uh, this particular topic? I'm just glad the Vatican's looking at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Me too. Me too. And and I think I I think it's something that um it makes an interesting space for us to start talking about ethics in software generally in mm-hmm. in a way that that we haven't really been doing. Um, not out of I don't I don't even think it's even out of fear or out of a a, a sense of slow moving, but it's just we haven't really had. Uh, as much of a reason to and it's been such a quick rise of technology that it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around how do we talk about ethics and now that we're really seeing okay we're seeing the fallout of big data we're seeing the fallout of uh, you know all of these security issues that are coming up okay somebody needs to step forward and say hey uh, you can do these things with technology but that doesn't mean that you should right you know i think some of the reason why this is starting to to get more into the conversation in catholic circles is we're starting to see people at higher levels within the Vatican, within the church, who are digital natives, people who grew up with this right. stuff, and to, who, mm. for whom it's not a foreign world, but it's something that they're somewhat familiar with. And I think it behooves the Vatican to continue to bring in people who know this stuff, who are familiar with it, to help, help continue this conversation uh, on both sides. So um, again, I applaud that. It'll be interesting to see how this intersects with uh, just war theory when it comes to cyber war. Oh yeah, that yeah. should be interesting. I, I think I've 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 heard the I I have a, a recollection. I, I don't want to speak too too much out of, out of turn, but uh, of someone from the Vatican, and I don't know if it was the Pope, saying things like you know that war should never be prosecuted by an AI. Like this should the the life or death decision should never be made by an algorithm, which mm-hmm. is true. Uh, you know, if you if you're going to if you're gonna if you're gonna if you have to if it comes down to it that you have to fight a war you have to make the decision to kill that decision has to be made by a human being and not by a machine. I think that's I think that's clearly uh, 
something that that but it, but it's an interesting moral perspective we need to preserve and have a voice in when that comes up because mm-hmm. it will no dead hand exactly right. exactly uh all right so let's let's talk about our second topic of the of the uh, podcast and this is uh, actually it's interesting because this is also relates to uh, you know multiple voices from different viewpoints having a part of the conversation and this is a uh, a court decision by uh concerns YouTube and I'm just uh, pulling up my note here which says that uh, a Seattle appeals court r- recently ruled just last week that YouTube I'm sorry um yeah, Seattle so San Francisco Ninth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals which is a uh, considered to be a fairly liberal court uh, so whether the Supreme Court would fall along that's another question but I'm getting ahead of myself uh it the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals dismissed a lawsuit by a YouTube content creator, uh, Prager University, and Dennis Prager. We may have heard of them. They create uh, YouTube videos uh, that um, express a conservative point of view, and they're educational videos about about various topics. Well, uh, they sued YouTube and Google back in 2017, saying that they were uh, they were they were their first amendment rights were being violated because their many of their videos especially those on ab- abortion gun rights islam and terrorism were being restricted and demonetized and they they held that that was that was a violation of their rights well the court said that uh youtube is not a public forum and it's not a state actor it's not the government and therefore it can't be held to the first amendment standard on the one hand, you know, that Google says, you know, hey, if you were to hold us as a public forum, then every website would would be essentially uh, run crazy. We, we couldn't we could never um, uh, uh, take down any video because we'd be a public mm-hmm. forum and that any video that wasn't illegal. So stuff that was just awful, gross or whatever, we'd have to let it run because we're a public forum. So this so that would be bad. On the other hand, this seems to give them the ability to r- remove content or or hide content that they disagree with from a particular partisan point of view. What do you guys think of this decision? I think that when you're a company as big as Google with as much reach as Google, you don't really get to decide that. And First Amendment rights should, appro- uh, should apply to content on your uh, platform. Yeah. Like, because at, at what point are they just controlling everything, which they kind of do now? If you're not on YouTube, you are not really going to have a voice. I mean, I guess you could use Vimeo, but then Vimeo could decide the same thing. Right. And in principle, I agree that companies shouldn't be forced to host videos that they don't want to or bake cakes for people they don't want to. But the bias here is very clear. If this had been a left-leaning YouTube channel, this would not have been a problem. I, I don't know about that because I, I think that there are a lot of YouTubers that are complaining about the same thing from the entire spectrum. Yeah, and, and I know uh, that YouTube seems to be getting really happy with the uh, takedowns and demonetization. Right. And there is like there's a for example there's a YouTube channel called uh, I think they're Time Ghost History and they do this thing where they do uh first they were doing World War 1 and now they do World War 2 and they go through week by week and follow the war in real time and they've been demonetized because they have, you know, photos of Nazi things in their videos and they're not mm-hmm. endorsing that ideology at all, but because it's there they've been demonetized. So I think YouTube is kind of just hitting everything with a blunt hammer rather than actually looking at the content of the videos. Well, the argument is that, you know, 
YouTube is also removing things like uh, videos that promote fake, you know, sort of the fake news, the stuff that is meant to uh, influence the election by spreading rumors or innuendo or just flat out, flat out falsehoods. And, you know, in 2016, people were yelling at the social media and the big tech companies, you should be, you know, helping people to avoid this. And, uh, and, you know, and hiding that now they're hiding flat earth stuff because, you know, that's bad for people to, to, to hear about. But yeah, I mean, there, I'm, I'm looking at these and I'm weighing it. I'm thinking, which is worse to, to, ha to have everything, including, you know, viewpoint stuff that is relatively mainstream viewpoint point of view, you know, pro-life. I think that's relatively mainstream, you know, 48% yeah. of the country, 50% of the country holds that point of view. Uh, that's being, you know, demonetized or, or, you know, impeded at least. Uh, that worries well, me. Well, I think it's also, it's also, uh, it's also one thing to consider like how that topic is being presented because, uh, there is a way to present that topic that is culturally normal, that, um, is indicative of everything about that topic that's fine and then there's the you know let's post a large banner of an aborted fetus and right. start having this really big conversation about it i uh, that's those are two different things and one i think is justifiable the other one is not and, to be, yeah, I would yeah to be fair i'm fairly familiar with prager's uh videos and they are pretty pretty good they're they are not yeah. inflammatory they are right yeah i'm not talking specific in this case i know that that it does actually yeah. fall in that kind of like but uh, you're right open forum kind of thing but there are yeah. there are things there are things that still deserve to be taken down even if they are um even if the 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 concept behind them is culturally sound the presentation is definitely yeah I've, I've reported stuff on uh, facebook before for stuff like that because even right. if i agree with the point of what you're saying i do not think the way you're saying it is helpful or appropriate or decent yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah i wonder how much of our reaction to this has to do with what we what we've heard of google's internal culture uh it's view, you know the viewpoint of many of its employees and managers which is you know left-leaning and so we don't see you know we don't look at it and say you know oh you know the they do this to everybody but we we say you know we know the point of view we've seen it we've mm -hmm. heard you know, reports of employees there who've said they want to suppress right wing or conservative viewpoints. And then we see it being done. I think that makes it a little different than uh, than the other stuff they, that seems more justifiable. I think we in the absence of that other evidence, I don't I think we probably would be a little more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But in this case, I think a lot of people are saying, well, this goes right along with what we see is, is that there's an implicit bias in these in some of these big tech companies where, where we've we, we've heard that they're biased against us. And so we're more likely right. to feel, uh, you know, censored. Right. Well, and I, I think you run into the problem here, too, like Jack was saying initially, that um, there there is such a reach. YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's only behind Google itself. So it's right. kind of a, it's a catch 22 because, and, and I think it's interesting though, too, to, to think about the, the state's argument here that this isn't an open forum, but there's no alternative. There's no alternative state open forum that right. is e right. equal to, or e e that even exists, let alone uh, anywhere near uh, the, the size and status of YouTube. Right. There isn't a public park you can walk into as opposed to private property. This is, you know, this is a whole different area that wasn't envisioned when the 
Constitution was written. I mean, the, we, the idea that, you know, you don't, you know, you can, you, anyone can set up a website and I could get my views out. But if the problem is, if, if people can't find the website, then I, it may as well not exist. And when one company pretty much controls access, because even, even uh, search engines like DuckDuckGo, the, the reality is, is their back end is they're doing just, they're just doing um, anonymized searches through, through, yeah, right, Google. Yeah. You know, I mean, Google controls it. The Bing and Google, that's about it. You know, for ninety nine percent of it. And even if you circumvent YouTube or Google hosting your things, GoDaddy or whoever you're hosting could still decide your site is not kosher and take it down. Right. Right. Like you're still relying on somebody else. Like unless you want to set up your own server farm in your garage and host your website that way. And even then you have the ISP you gotta go through. Right. I was gonna say the ISP is another another gatekeeper there. Right. Yeah. Right. There is no protected public forum situation uh, there are it's interesting there are places there are municipalities where the isp is a government uh, uh run utility and there and thus you actually do have some protection uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting in those cases but but even then you know yeah you've got a server with an ip address but domain names are are, are handed out by private entities you know all that sort of stuff you could you could mm-hmm. be on the dark web all you want i suppose but it doesn't mean that you know you you ha- you have a free speech in that sense so i i think it's a situation where we it's not that our constitution or our laws necessarily need to catch up but we need to be able to think about these things in a new way looking at the reality of the of the situation we're in where we're effectively at the mercy of these very big companies. Uh, we are, you know, it's almost a technocracy that we're living in uh, or could become it, one. It, it very much really is. I mean, it really is moving that direction where uh, the the information is controlled by uh, these organizations. And it's 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 a difficult place to be in as, as a person who is very much in the uh, laissez-faire, let-it-be situation because... Uh, <laughs> There's no response to this. Like, what are we all going to do? Blacklist YouTube? Right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. It and should. I, 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 don't, I, don't think that, I don't think that that would be a bad response. I think that, you know, the more we see uh, Google controlling these kind of things, the more people should be moving away from using Google as a search engine. They should be moving away from uh, using YouTube as, uh, as a platform to post to. But again, what, what, what are do? the alternatives? Yeah. Right. It's like Chesterton says about uh, the problem with capitalism is that there's too few capitalists. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I could I could post all of our I, all of our podcasts go onto YouTube as audio only videos. Um, I could post them all on Live Leak or Vimeo, but that just means nobody's going to see them there. Right. Yeah, that's you exactly. know, the, the you have to go where the people are, and that the people and, and it's the same. It's the it's the Facebook problem. You know, we've had Google Plus, we've had which you know. Go from one giant corporation to another, but or MeWe or uh, Mastodon instead of Twitter. But unless people go there, then this it does it's it doesn't there's no point in it. You know, you, then you're standing in a room by yourself talking to the walls. You know, yeah. you've got to be where everyone else is, and until people decide to go somewhere else, it isn't going to happen. So, yeah, it's this is a tricky situation, and I don't know. I I, I don't have a crystal ball to say this is this is the solution or this is where it's going to go. I, I, but I do worry about, uh, you know, when I see things like this, it makes me worry a little bit about, you know, if there ever comes a time when people decide 
th- this particular kind of viewpoint that that I hold, Christian viewpoint or other, uh, is not acceptable in in public, and we're not far from that on some yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, th- to be silenced. I mean, frankly, I think we're there. Uh, there are some things I won't say online, things I believe deeply, but I won't say in public places because I'm afraid of being censored and removed, canceled, yeah. essentially, the cancel culture. So uh, it just bears watching. I'm sure we're not done. You know, maybe this will go before the Supreme Court. Uh, they they haven't said uh, what they plan to do, but uh, it's it's possible they will. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure if regulation is written by Congress, it's going to be heavily lobbied by the big companies. So we'll, I'm not sure how right. that would work out. Yeah. I just, I just wonder what, what, what will they be able to do ultimately? <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, speaking of, uh, signing away your rights to the corporations and them having all the uh, rights, how, how, let's have some more dystopian, uh, information. Uh, apparently, uh, there's some news about how every time we click agree on those uh, user agreements, those terms of service, we're signing away our right to sue. Uh, you know, we've always known that. Like, you know, you've, those clauses have always been in the various software packages and stuff. And there's always this arbitration clause by using our software, by, you know, clicking this button, by doing this, you are uh, agreeing to binding arbitration instead of litigation. Like, so if something goes wrong, you agree to instead of expensive lawsuits, which expensive class action lawsuits is what they're trying to stop. Uh, instead, they can make you go before an arbitrator and that put that that makes it much easier for a big company to send in a lawyer and to uh, win the day. Uh, so uh, that's always been the case. But now there's the, there's been some talk, including this 2019 study by a law professor at Loyola University, New Orleans, who's found that... Um, we are we are having many more of these binding agreements where we give up our rights to sue our our access to the courts uh in i think they said something like it covers more than 60% of us retail e-commerce sales or agreements uh that's astounding so and you know every time you use amazon uber walmart costco um when you buy a car when you uh, you know, do any of these transactions where you make these agreements, you're giving up your rights little by little. What do you guys think of this? Something to be concerned about? I wonder how enforceable it even is. Yeah, that's I, I'm in that same boat too. Like I, I, the end user license agreements and, and just any license agreements you go into, it's it's assuming common uh, transactional process, right? So if I if I say I'm not going to hold Uber liable for something that happens to me when I'm riding Uber, but then I get in the Uber car. And the driver turns out to be a maniac and tries to kidnap me, and 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 there was absolutely they knew this was a problem, and that, you know there are situations where it's just that's not going to hold. It doesn't matter yeah. that they had me sign an agreement; that's they're still going to be responsible for that situation. Right. Well, that's the problem that Uber has had. Like they've had bad things happen with their drivers, and I think as a result of it, they've had to change some of their policies mm-hmm. with how those cases are handled. Right. And, you know, from their point of view, they say, look, you know, we do it. We've got thousands of drivers. We do our best to screen them, but there's only so much we can do, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, what it comes down to, though, is, is anybody can sue anyone for anything, no matter what you've agreed to. Like, you can still send in right. a lawyer. It just means that the, that your lawyer has a, a bit, you know, a steeper path to, to trod to get to the goal that you have. 
And some people point out, look, class action lawsuits are a kind of a problem in our legal system right now. They're they're these everybody's suing for over the stupidest reasons. You know, oh my kid bought you know a uh, a game on iPhone and uh and now and and we didn't like it and so now we're filing a class a fifty million dollar class action lawsuit. You know, I mean it's just ridiculous things sometimes. And the the people who mainly benefit from class action lawsuits are the, the lawyers. lawyers, right? You know, right. But we don't. When you get those little cards in the mail, like you may be a, you, a beneficiary. What they don't tell you is, is like up to like forty percent of the of the of the millions of dollars are going to the law firms. Yeah, like mm-hmm. the actual class of the class action are getting a pittance of the whole thing. And I mean, you look at it like, Oh, I get ooh a $5 coupon woo, to buy more <laughs> of your stuff. You know, it's like, right. it, 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 it's actually a sales agreement. You know, it's like a, a sales tactic uh, in yeah. some cases. So I'm not sure how I feel about it. I, I'm with you. I, I think um, in a lot of these cases, you know, you could still sue. And, and in some ways arbitration does level the playing field a little bit. and and you know it's it's not a, the uh, uh, have to go to court and convince a jury. It's you know an arbitrator who's trained right. to mediate. So and I don't the issue feel so there bad. is still going to be whoever has more money wins usually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. All right. So here's another uh, headline that uh, will help us uh, fight back against big tech. Uh, New York Times had an article: activate this bracelet of silence and Alexa or your Amazon Echo. And I don't want to say it can't eavesdrop. If I had it right now, I could say it and it wouldn't hear Hold me. Hold them up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, 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 the personal, digital personal system that will not be named. Uh, the, so this, these two um, computer science professors at the University of Chicago, a married couple, uh, he wanted to buy an Echo and she didn't want it in the house. Uh, I've had that argument. <laughs> I won. <laughs> that one I won. Uh, but the compromise was that they created because they're computer science professors, they created this device that when activated blankets the, the room with um, ultrasonic noise that jams the, the echo and anything else with microphones that are in the vicinity. And they, they call it the bracelet of silence. This, they have a picture of their prototype. The thing is this giant like ring. It looks, looks awesome. like, it looks like an alien bracelet handcuff, you know, it's just kind of it's fantastic. Yes. I totally want one. I, <laughs> I would wear I want one on each wrist. <laughs> well, the, yes. the interesting the power thing, gauntlets. Yeah. Well, some people will say, well, why don't you just, you know, silence you, there's a button you could tell it to, you know, to, to not listen to what we're saying for now. Uh, but, uh, you know, or don't use the wake word. And of course we've, we've heard many studies that show, Oh, you know, these devices activate on their own uh, m- by mishearing the wake word, uh, you know, h- so many hundred times a day. Uh, and, you know, you can't always control it when you go in other places. And so uh, they talk about maybe you could wear this out, you know, or when you go into someone else's home, you know, who has an echo. But then that raises some interesting ethical questions. Do you have the right to jam other people's? Uh, devices in their home. So, what do you think? What, what do you think of this this whole question? I I like this honestly. I don't have an Echo or anything, but I still have my iPhone, which I know is listening to me right now. Yep. Um, and that's the thing with microphones is like even if there's an off switch, it's always on 
When we mm. prepare computers for classified environments, you have to physically open up the laptop and disconnect the microphone and the camera because unless you're physically disconnecting it, you cannot be sure it's off. Yep. So I think it's I think it's a good idea. I don't know. I think if you're going to, over to someone's house, it's you know you respect their house rules. If they want to use their Alexa, you let them use their Alexa. But if you want to have that in your house, or even if you're just walking out in public, so it's not picking up what you're saying, I think that's fine. I, I agree with that. I think that's a it's a it's a courtesy issue at that point. You need to ask the person that you're that you're around. Um, but then but then it goes to public places. Like how how does this extend to public places? Like if I'm a teacher and I have this kind of thing on my wrist and I'm in a in a classroom. Um, that's that's my classroom so you know there's a reasonable expectation there but then if i just walk down the hall or if i go <laughs> and get on a uh, go to a train station or something like that and still have the bracelet on not even really thinking about it i'm preventing people from being able to use their technology yeah i'm sitting there going it depends on the range <laughs> yeah. i'm standing yeah. next to you on the on the train going why won't my phone play my music <laughs> <laughs> And then there, but then, but then there's me with the other problem. Like my phone listens to me way too much, and I'm not even sure how it picks up on some of the stuff I say, and, and right. just brings up the assistant and starts trying to check in <laughs> yeah. with me. Oh, I loved that today. I I was trying to answer the phone, and I'm like, hello, hello, and I'm hearing my the 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 Siri on my watch going. Good afternoon. I'm like, not you, you idiot. <laughs> I'm trying to talk to my mother who's calling me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That. that that one bugs me is the watch thing, the the lift to talk. Um, the, the, so it's sort of a cone of silence to that we a bubble of silence we can put around us. Uh, maybe I think that's an interesting idea that if you could have a personalized bubble of silence around you where you d cannot be listened to. I mean, it's not that different from uh, these other things that people are doing where you can wear like a, a special kind of necklace or a hat that blinds cameras like especially facial right. recognition cameras when they're trying to look at your face um it's an interesting idea you know in a world where we're surrounded by things trying to hear us and see us maybe we have a right to be anonymous in private right so that's an interesting question there was a there was an actor recently or, or a musician who was wearing a piece of cloth that uh, reflected flashes uh, much more brightly than they than they should have, and so all you could see was the cloth being reflected. I loved that. I thought that was a really cool awesome. use of technology. And I I think it's really I think stealth technology is something that we need to start um, thinking more about as a society and how how we're going to use it and how we're going to uh, deal with it as uh, you know as members of a society and whether or not I mean if if someone wants to be left alone they should be able to be left alone. Yeah, and you shouldn't have to just remove yourself. So here's another way where we can fight back. Uh, this is our our last headline for the for the the episode. Is uh, the this is from Gizmodo? Uh, they ask, "Hate those robocalls? This service lets you sue them for up to three thousand dollars per annoying call." So do you want to get three thousand dollars every time you get a robocall? Well, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> if so you here, can track them down, yeah, more power right. to you. Well, here's how it works. The service is called Robo Revenge, and uh, it's a service from a company called Do Not Pay, which is a robot lawyer app that lets consumers do things like appeal parking tickets and cancel services and subscriptions and that sort of stuff. But what Robo Revenge does is uh, it first it adds you to the federal Do Not Call registry that run by the Federal Trade Commission, and, and that's the a key step because once you're on there, you're not supposed to get these calls. Then here's here's the, the the tricky part. They give you a virtual burner credit card 
that's issued by Do Not Pay. Okay, it's issued in Do Not Pay's name, and you you provide it when you receive the robocall. So you have to engage in a financial transaction with the robocaller. That's the key. Hmm. They have they have to commit a crime or to, in order for them to to, to be traced, right? Because that's what happens. Is Robo Revenge uses the transaction information from the credit card transaction to track down the robocaller, the contact information for the people behind it, and then guides you through the process to sue them. And you can sue for up to three thousand dollars under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act the, because that's a violation mm-hmm. of the Do Not Call Registry. And they do. They generate the demand letters and the court documents that help you with your claim. Now, they don't do the suing for you. You have to they, – they, they provide you with all the steps, but you have to follow through. So you really have to be really motivated to yeah. do this. And there's probably a handful of people out there who have the, the time, the energy, and the passion to follow through. I don't know, something. man. I'm getting close with these uh, these uh, calls that I'm getting that are like they ask for someone else's name, and then yeah. as soon as I say no, that's not them, they they, they launch into this sales pitch. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, sell for it again, darn it. <laughs> I mean, if you're making three thousand dollars a call, that with the number of calls I'm getting, I could just turn that into my full time job. Well, this is true. I'm thinking there might be people out there who you know who could do that. You know, they they've got some free time. They they work from home. They're not really all that busy. Otherwise, maybe that could be <laughs> that could be a, a, a part time job for someone. Uh, if, it's a new fantastic retired person's gig. There you yeah, go. yeah. I mean, it, would it make a dent in it? I don't know. Maybe not. But it make you feel better and maybe get you some cash on the side. Uh, I just I don't think it's for me. I uh, the the whole thing about use you know. Engaging in a commercial transaction using somebody else's credit card, you know, issued from the do, do not pay. I, I, it's. I'm sure it's all on the legal up and up. I just oh, that that I feel like that puts me into certain obligations and connections that I I'd be worried about <laughs> down the road. Yeah, but and I, then you're basically just working for do not pay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, I applaud the concept and the and the uh, the the desire behind it, which is to, to get back at the robocallers. Uh, so I I agree with that. Uh, one simple step that if you're an iPhone user, you can do. There is a setting in the in the settings app under uh, the iPhone setting. You can say silence uh, unknown callers. So if the person calling you is not in your contact, uh, your address book, your contacts. It won't ring the phone. It will still register as a call. It'll show up as a, you know, as a missed call and that sort of thing. But it won't ring the phone and bug you with it. So it's a, it's a small thing you can do to to get some of the annoyance away. Yeah, it really helps. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's move on. And uh, we, we so we've had some fun with that. And then let's talk about our our picks of the week. And uh, this time, uh, Thomas, I'm going to let you go first. What's your pick this week? All right. My pick this week is for the electronic lover in your life, uh, if you or you, if you would like to, uh, an Arduino Uno starter kit. Mm. And it's uh, now I'm going to say there are knockoff versions on uh, on Amazon as well. So if you want to go, the, the one that I got was like half the price of the Arduino starter kit and it was called Elegoo. Uh, but I do like the idea of supporting the actual company that made the whole concept of uh, microcontrollers really, uh, really take off. So um, the starter kit itself comes with a chipboard that is programmable, um, but it's a circuits and electronics uh, primer set. Basically, it gives you a whole bunch of wires, a whole bunch of LEDs, resistors. Uh, it'll come with a, uh, a starter kit uh, 
package of lessons and it'll teach you how to put all of these things together. And it's great for hobbyists, uh, for enthusiasts, anybody who's interested in robotics, if you're interested in just learning about a little bit about how electricity works, this is a great way to get started. I had a great idea for an Arduino project the other day on my podcast that I did with my wife, Melanie, on uh, Raising the Bets. I said, what I want to do is I want to find an old clock radio, the kind with the flippy letters, mm-hmm. and I want to hollow it out, keep the clock part of it working, hollow out the radio part, put an Arduino in there. That when the alarm goes off, plays the the bit from Groundhog Day. Whenever the clock, <laughs> whenever he woke up, that's awesome. the the uh, morning zoo That'd show. Be great, yeah. Uh, th- that's an Arduino project. She was like, "What is yeah, an Arduino?" And I, now I I can show oh, her this. <laughs> now, yeah, you show her, show her this. But I, it's got all sorts of great stuff. It has a humidity sensor in it. It has a um a distance sensor. It's got a couple of motors. It's got uh, loads of LEDs, a bunch of different um, tilt switches and things like that. I think uh, you know for me. Uh, I got it just wanting to play with electronic stuff, but now I'm uh, thinking of projects where I can use it in our garden to make sure that our garden stays watered. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you just put the humidity sensor out there, you run it to an Arduino board, and then you have a pump set up on it that it can pump water automatically if the humidity inside the soil is too low. Wow. Uh, And it's just little stuff like that that it's really easy to to run. And if you're ever wondering, okay, well, what could I actually do with this? Just go on YouTube and search for uh, DIY electronics projects. Yeah. And there are tons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it comes, it looks like it comes with an Arduino project book that right. would give you all kinds of things to start with. That's always my thing. My thing is like, what would I do? Like the, like the clock <laughs> radio thing came to me, but, uh, uh, yeah. but even something practical, interesting. That's a good one. Yeah, I know it, w- it walks you through using each one of the different components and then maybe how to wire a couple of them together. And um, the, the one thing I will say is that it, it you, you have to learn a little bit of C programming language to be able to do more advanced things. But it's really not that hard to find um, ways to use it online. And, and it's really just the very basics of uh, learning C. So you don't have to like go really super complicated with it. You just have to learn what you need for the Arduino itself. It's a good way to get into it, too. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. And you could probably find snippets that you can just, you know, borrow from uh, other places and, you know. Right, exactly. Awesome. That's cool. Um, Jack, what is your pick this week? My pick of the week is the Reaper Digital Audio Workstation. It's basically, it's kind of like Pro Tools, but it's a lot cheaper. It's $60 if you're using it for personal use and then $225 for the commercial license. And you can do things, you can record on it. I'm actually using it right now to record because um, anything else crashes my computer. Uh, it also has a lot of MIDI functionality. So if you have a MIDI controller, like a keyboard or whatever, you can plug it into it and control different virtual instruments that way. And it's got a bunch of different plugins for effects and things like that. And I use it for recording music in addition to just doing audio like this podcast. So it's really good. It's really cheap. And the nice thing is the free trial is unlimited. It just does this thing where it pops up and says it's been however many days since you've paid for it. So <laughs> if you want to be, you know, less than... Good old WinRars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Winrar> so, <laughs> but for $60, it's really worth it. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, for, you could edit audio with this. You could edit a podcast with, with this. It's multi-tra- yeah. multi-track um, audio recording and editing. So um, I use Adobe Audition, but it's what I know. But uh, this would be a, a nice way for someone to get into this sort of thing uh, inexpensively. That's really that's a good one. So my pick is a security product called the YubiKey, and I I'm picking it even though I'm not quite sold on its 
as it, as it being the end all and be all of it, I'm still figuring it out a bit. Um, so what is the YubiKey? It is a, a USB device. It, it, well, it connects by USB. It can connect via Bluetooth, depending on which one you get. Lightning, USB-C, USB-A. Um, and what it is, it's, it's another way of verifying your identity for passwords. So, for example, uh, I can set it up so that when, my, when my, I reboot my Mac, it, when it gets to the password screen, it says, insert your, your YubiKey into the USB port and then type in your PIN. So it's like a smart card. You've seen some of those things in big business and government agencies. Uh, then uh, I can also use it with um, 1Password. So whenever I launch 1Password, it'll ask me to insert my YubiKey. I put it in the, the port, and then it has a little like a place to put your finger. It's not it's not fingerprint ID. It just wants you to touch it so that it knows that there's a physical person there. It's not a virtual copy. Uh, so you touch it, and it verifies that it's in the, the computer, and it unlocks 1Password. Um, they also have versions for, uh, like for your iPhone, if you have a, a lightning port. So um, they have other ones that are NFC, so you can just hold it up against the device that doesn't yet work with iPhone. They're working on on that, um, but uh, they they hope to get to that point very soon. So, having used it now for a couple of weeks, one of the things is you always want two, in case you lose one. You set right. you set up two, <laughs> put one of them in a very safe place. Um, but um, I don't I don't necessarily find it to to provide that much more security because there's always it always offers the backup like if you don't have the YubiKey you can also do your your two factor authentication through the Google Authenticator or Authy you know time one time code thing uh, which I'm like I'm already doing that so why is this better you know like so I'm still I'm still it's a, I'm very interested in the idea of having even more security through a physical device that I have to have on me, which means that other people can't get into it. But um, we're also still kind of worried about losing that physical device. So yeah, we still yeah. have to have that <laughs> way of getting in without it. And so that's where we are with that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, where this company goes. I was actually just looking at it the other day because um, the government is requiring all federal contractors um, in the next couple of years to have two-factor authentication on all your systems if you're working with the government. Oh. So that's been something we've been having to look at. So I was actually looking, looking at this the other day. So I have to dig into it more and see yeah. what you think of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I'd be interested to hear what you know what you come up with. We should we should continue to talk about this on on this podcast because uh, mm -hmm. th this sort of thing, as it becomes more, it's not mainstream at all. It's this. It's just not there yeah. yet. But as it becomes more mainstream, and it will, uh, I think, it, you know, as it gets out into further places. I'd like to be able to talk about it more and, and how this could help with security because we need to improve security. All of these passwords we've got are not doing it. Like having a thousand different multi, you know, letter number symbol <laughs> passwords, the need for a password manager itself is indicative that the system is kind of broken. Right, so yeah. uh, we need to get to a place where we're secure without having to have all of these random passwords and some sort of biometrics, which is this kind of could be connected to, or some kind of key, which is what this literally is, might be part of that solution. So, all right, that's uh, some good picks again. I'm very happy with those. 
So uh, before we sign off, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Technology, including John W., SR, Joseph G., Burke I., and Francesco M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And if you're listening to the Secrets of, Te- of, the Secrets of Technology, I stumble over that, uh, and you're not aware of our other shows, the StarQuest Network has a bunch of shows on a bunch of different topics. Go to sqpn.com slash shows, and you'll see all of them there. We cover a variety of topics related to pop culture and the intersection of pop culture and faith. And uh, so you might find something else you like there. Uh, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, Spotify, uh, or on our YouTube channel where you should hit the bell to get notifications where our YouTube channel is SQPN. Until next time, Thomas Sanherjo, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks for having me. And Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>